0: Section fifteen of Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini Part Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini Part Two, Section fifteen, Chapters seventy three through seventy seven. Chapter seventy three. Having succeeded so well with the cast of the Medusa, I had great hope of bringing my Perseus through, for I had laid the wax on, and felt confident that it would come out in bronze as perfectly as the Medusa. The waxen model produced so fine an effect, that when the duke saw it and was struck with its beauty, whether somebody had persuaded him it could not be carried out with the same finish in metal, or whether he thought so for himself, he came to visit me more frequently than usual, and on one occasion said, Benvenuto, this figure cannot succeed in bronze. The laws of art do not admit of it. These words of His Excellency stung me so sharply that I answered, My lord, I know how very little confidence you have in me, and I believe the reason of this is that your most illustrious Excellency LENDS TOO READY AN EAR TO MY calumniators, OR ELSE, INDEED, THAT YOU DO NOT UNDERSTAND MY ART. HE HARDLY LET ME CLOSE THE SENTENCE WHEN HE BROKE IN. I PROFESS MYSELF A connoisseur, AND UNDERSTAND IT VERY WELL INDEED. I REPLIED, YES, LIKE A PRINCE, NOT LIKE AN ARTIST, FOR IF YOUR EXCELLENCY UNDERSTOOD MY TRADE AS WELL AS YOU IMAGINE you would trust me on the proofs I have already given. These are, first, the colossal bronze bust of Your Excellency, which is now in Elba. Secondly, the restoration of the Ganymede in marble, which offered so many difficulties and cost me so much trouble that I would rather have made the whole statue new from the beginning. Thirdly, the Medusa, cast by me in bronze here now, before your excellency's eyes the execution of which was a greater triumph of strength and skill than any of my predecessors in this fiendish art have yet achieved look you my lord i constructed that furnace anew on principles quite different from those of other founders in addition to many technical improvements and ingenious devices i supplied it with two issues for the metal because this difficult and twisted figure "'could not otherwise have come out perfect. "'It is only owing to my intelligent insight "'into means and appliances "'that the statue turned out as it did, "'a triumph judged impossible "'by all the practitioners of this art. "'I should like you furthermore to be aware, my lord, "'for certain that the sole reason "'why I succeeded with all those great arduous works in France "'under the most admirable Majesty King Francis,' was the high courage which that good monarch put into my heart by the liberal allowances he made me and the multitude of workpeople he left at my disposal. I could have as many as I asked for, and employed at times above forty, all chosen by myself. These were the causes of my having there produced so many masterpieces in so short a space of time. Now then, my lord, put trust in me, supply me with the aid I need, I am confident of being able to complete a work which will delight your soul. But if Your Excellency goes on disheartening me, and does not advance me the assistance which is absolutely required, neither I nor any man alive upon this earth can hope to achieve the slightest thing of value. Chapter 74 It was as much as the Duke could do to stand by and listen to my pleadings. HE KEPT TURNING FIRST THIS WAY AND THEN THAT, WHILE I, IN DESPAIR, POOR, WRETCHED I, WAS CALLING UP REMEMBRANCE OF THE NOBLE STATE I HELD IN FRANCE, TO THE GREAT SORROW OF MY SOUL. ALL AT ONCE HE CRIED, COME, TELL ME, BENVENUTO, HOW IS IT POSSIBLE THAT YONDER SPLENDID HEAD OF MEDUSA, SO HIGH UP THERE IN THE GRASP OF PERSEUS, SHOULD EVER COME OUT PERFECT, I replied upon the instant, Look you now, my lord, if your excellency possessed that knowledge of the craft which you affirm you have, you would not fear one moment for the splendid head you speak of. There is good reason, on the other hand, to feel uneasy about this right foot, so far below and at a distance from the rest. When he heard these words, the duke turned, half in anger, to some gentlemen in waiting and exclaimed, I verily believe that this Benvenuto prides himself on contradicting everything one says. Then he faced round to me with a touch of mockery, upon which his attendants did the like, and began to speak as follows. I will listen patiently to any argument you can possibly produce in explanation of your statement, which may convince me of its probability. I said in answer, I WILL ADDUCE SO SOUND AN ARGUMENT THAT YOUR EXCELLENCY SHALL PERCEIVE THE FULL FORCE OF IT. SO I BEGAN, YOU MUST KNOW, MY LORD, THAT THE NATURE OF FIRE IS TO ASCEND, AND THEREFORE I PROMISE YOU THAT MEDUSA'S HEAD WILL COME OUT FAMOUSLY, BUT SINCE IT IS NOT IN THE NATURE OF FIRE TO DESCEND, AND I MUST FORCE IT DOWNWARDS SIX CUBITS BY ARTIFICIAL MEANS, "'I assure Your Excellency upon this most convincing ground of proof "'that the foot cannot possibly come out. "'It will, however, be quite easy for me to restore it.' "'Why then,' said the Duke, "'did you not devise it so that the foot should come out as well "'as you affirm the head will?' "'I answered, "'I must have a much larger furnace, "'with a conduit as thick as my leg.' so I might have forced the molten metal by its own weight to descend so far. Now, my pipe, which runs six cubits to the statue's foot, as I have said, is not thicker than two fingers. However, it was not worth the trouble and expense to make a larger, for I shall easily be able to mend what is lacking. But when my mold is more than half full as I expect from this middle point upwards, the fire ascending by its natural property, then the heads of Perseus and Medusa will come out admirably, you may be quite sure of it. After I had thus expounded these convincing arguments, together with many more of the same kind, which it would be tedious to set down here, the duke shook his head and departed without further ceremony. CHAPTER 75 Abandoned thus to my own resources, I took new courage, and banished the sad thoughts which kept recurring to my mind, making me often weep bitter tears of repentance for having left France, for though I did so only to revisit Florence, my sweet birthplace, in order that I might charitably succor my six nieces, this good action, as I well perceived, had been the beginning of my great misfortune. Nevertheless, I felt convinced that when my Perseus was accomplished, all these trials would be turned to high felicity and glorious well-being. Accordingly, I strengthened my heart, and with all the forces of my body and my purse, employing what little money still remained to me, I set to work. First, I provided myself with several loads of pine wood from the forests of Cerestore in the neighborhood of Montelupo. While these were on their way, I clothed my Perseus with the clay which I had prepared many months beforehand, in order that it might be duly seasoned. After making its clay tunic, for that is the term used in this art, and properly arming it and fencing it with iron girders, I began to draw the wax out by means of a slow fire. This melted and issued through numerous air vents I had made, for the more there are of these, the better will the mold fill. When I had finished drawing off the wax, I constructed a funnel-shaped furnace all around the model of my Perseus. It was built of bricks, so interlaced the one above the other that numerous apertures were left for the fire to exhale at. Then I began to lay on wood by degrees, and kept it burning two whole days and nights. At length, when all the wax was gone, and the mold was well-baked, I set to work at digging the pit in which to sink it. This I performed with scrupulous regard to all the rules of art. When I had finished that part of my work, I raised the mold by windlasses and stout ropes to a perpendicular position, and suspending it with the greatest care one cubit above the level of the furnace so that it hung exactly above the middle of the pit I next lowered it gently down into the very bottom of the furnace, and had it firmly placed with every possible precaution for its safety. When this delicate operation was accomplished, I began to bank it up with the earth I had excavated, and, ever as the earth grew higher, I introduced its proper air vents, which were little tubes of earthenware such as folk use for drains and such like purposes. At length I felt sure that it was admirably fixed, and that the filling in of the pit and the placing of the air vents had been properly performed. I also could see that my workpeople understood my method, which differed very considerably from that of all the other masters in the trade. Feeling confident then that I could rely upon them, I next turned to my furnace, which I had filled with numerous pigs of copper and other bronze stuff. THE PIECES WERE PILED ACCORDING TO THE LAWS OF ART, THAT IS, TO SAY, RESTING ONE UPON THE OTHER THAT THE FLAMES COULD PLAY FREELY THROUGH THEM, IN ORDER THAT THE METAL MIGHT HEAT AND LIQUEFY THE SOONER. AT LAST I CALLED OUT HEARTILY TO SET THE FURNACE GOING. THE LOGS OF PINE WERE HEAPED IN, AND WHAT WITH THE UNCTUOUS RESIN OF THE WOOD AND THE GOOD draught I HAD GIVEN, MY FURNACE WORKED SO WELL THAT I WAS OBLIGED TO RUSH FROM SIDE TO SIDE TO KEEP IT GOING. The labor was more than I could stand, yet I forced myself to strain every nerve and muscle. To increase my anxieties, the workshop took fire, and we were afraid lest the roof should fall upon our heads, while from the garden such a storm of wind and rain kept blowing in that it perceptibly cooled the furnace. Battling thus with all these untoward circumstances for several hours— and exerting myself beyond even the measure of my powerful constitution, I could at last bear up no longer, and a sudden fever of the utmost possible intensity attacked me. I felt absolutely obliged to go and fling myself upon my bed. Sorely against my will, having to drag myself away from the spot, I turned to my assistants, about ten or more in all, what with master-founders, hand-workers, country-fellows, and my own special journeymen, among whom was Bernardino Manolini of Mugello, my apprentice through several years. To him in particular I spoke, "'Look, my dear Bernardino, that you observe the rules which I have taught you. Do your best with all dispatch, for the metal will soon be fused. You cannot go wrong. These honest men will get the channels ready.' "'You will easily be able to drive back the two plugs "'with this pair of iron crooks, "'and I am sure that my mould will fill miraculously. "'I feel more ill than I ever did in all my life, "'and verily believe that it will kill me "'before a few hours are over.' "'Thus, with despair at heart, "'I left them and betook myself to bed.' "'Chapter 76. "'No sooner had I got to bed,' Then I ordered my serving-maids to carry food and wine for all the men into the workshop. At the same time I cried, I shall not be alive tomorrow. They tried to encourage me, arguing that my illness would pass over since it came from excessive fatigue. In this way I spent two hours battling with the fever, which steadily increased, and calling out continually, I feel that I am dying! my housekeeper, who was named Mona Fiore da Castel del Rio, a very notable manager and no less warm-hearted, kept chiding me for my discouragement. But on the other hand she paid me every kind attention which was possible. However, the sight of my physical pain and moral dejection so affected her that, in spite of that brave heart of hers, she could not refrain from shedding tears. And yet, so far as she was able, she took good care i should not see them while i was thus terribly afflicted i beheld the figure of a man enter my chamber twisted in his body into the form of a capital s he raised a lamentable doleful voice like one who announces their last hour to men condemned to die upon the scaffold and spoke these words o benvenuto Your statue is spoiled, and there is no hope whatever of saving it. No sooner had I heard the shriek of that wretch than I gave a howl, which might have been heard from the sphere of flame. Jumping from my bed I seized my clothes and began to dress. The maids and my lads and everyone who came around to help me got kicks or blows of the fist, while I kept crying out in lamentation "'Ah, traitors, enviers, this is an act of treason done by malice perpense. "'But I swear by God that I will sift it to the bottom, "'and before I die will leave such witness to the world of what I can do "'as shall make a score of mortals marvel.' "'When I had got my clothes on, I strode with soul bent on mischief toward the workshop. "'There I beheld the men whom I had left erewhile in such high spirits,' "'standing stupefied and downcast. "'I began at once and spoke, "'Up with you, attend to me. "'Since you have not been able or willing to obey the directions I gave you, "'obey me now, that I am with you to conduct my work in person. "'Let no one contradict me, for in cases like this "'we need the aid of hand and hearing, not of advice.' "'When I had uttered these words, a certain maestro, Alessandro Lastricati broke silence, and said, Look, you Benvenuto, you are going to attempt an enterprise which the laws of art do not sanction, and which cannot succeed. I turned upon him with such fury and so full of mischief that he and all the rest of them exclaimed with one voice, On, then, give orders. We will obey your least commands, so long as life is left in us. I believe they spoke thus feelingly because they thought I must fall shortly dead upon the ground. I went immediately to inspect the furnace and found that the metal was all curdled, an accident which we EXPRESSED by being caked. I told two of the hands to cross the road and fetch from the house of the butcher Capretta a load of young oak wood which had lain dry for above a year. This wood had been previously offered me by madame Ginevra wife of the said capretta. So soon as the first armfuls arrived, I began to fill the grate beneath the furnace. Now, oak wood of that kind heats more powerfully than any other sort of tree, and for this reason, where a slow fire is wanted, as in the case of gun foundry, alder or pine is preferred. Accordingly, when the logs took fire, Oh, how the cake began to stir beneath that awful heat, to glow and sparkle in a blaze! At the same time, I kept stirring up the channels, and sent men upon the roof to stop the conflagration, which had gathered force from the increased combustion in the furnace. Also, I caused boards, carpets, and other hangings to be set up against the garden, in order to protect us from the violence of the rain. CHAPTER 77. When I had thus provided against these several disasters, I roared out first to one man and then to another, Bring this thing here, take that thing there. At this crisis, when the whole gang saw the cake was on the point of melting, they did my bidding, each fellow working with the strength of three. I then ordered half a pig of pewter to be brought, which weighed about 60 pounds, and flung it into the middle of the cake inside the furnace. By this means, and by piling on wood and stirring, now with pokers and now with iron rods, the curdled mass rapidly began to liquefy. Then, knowing I had brought the dead to life again, against the firm opinion of those ignoramuses, I felt such vigor fill my veins that all those pains of fever, all those fears of death, were quite forgotten all of a sudden an explosion took place attended by a tremendous flash of flame as though a thunderbolt had formed and been discharged amongst us unwanted and appalling terror astonished everyone and me more even than the rest when the din was over and the dazzling light extinguished we began to look each other in the face then I discovered that the cap of the furnace had blown up and the bronze was bubbling over from its source beneath. So I had the mouths of my mold immediately opened and at the same time drove in the two plugs which kept back the molten metal. But I noticed that it did not flow as rapidly as usual, the reason being probably that the fierce heat of the fire we kindled had consumed its base alloy. Accordingly, I sent for all my pewter platters porringers and dishes to the number of some two hundred pieces and had a portion of them cast one by one into the channels, the rest into the furnace. This expedient succeeded, and every one could now perceive that my bronze was in most perfect liquefaction, and my mould was filling, whereupon they all with heartiness and happy cheer assisted and obeyed my bidding while i now here now there helped with my own hands and cried aloud o god thou that by thy immeasurable power didst rise from the dead and in thy glory didst ascend to heaven even thus in a moment my mould was filled and seeing my work finished i fell upon my knees and with all my heart gave thanks to god after all was over I turned to a plate of salad on a bench there, and ate with hearty appetite, and drank together with the whole crew. Afterwards I retired to bed, healthy and happy, for it was now two hours before morning, and slept as sweetly as though I had never felt a touch of illness. My good housekeeper, without my giving any orders, had prepared a fat capon for my repast, "'so that when I rose about the hour for breaking fast, "'she presented herself with a smiling countenance and said, "'Oh, is that the man who felt he was dying? "'Upon my word, I think the blows and kicks you dealt us last night, "'when you were so enraged, "'and had that demon in your body as it seemed, "'must have frightened away your mortal fever. "'The fever feared that it might catch it too, as we did.' All my poor household, relieved in like measure from anxiety and overwhelming labor, went at once to buy earthen vessels in order to replace the pewter I had cast away. Then we dined together joyfully. Nay, I cannot remember a day in my whole life when I dined with greater gladness or a better appetite. After our meal I received visits from the several men who had assisted me, They exchanged congratulations and thanked God for our success, saying they had learned and seen things done which other masters judged impossible. I, too, grew somewhat glorious, and, deeming I had shown myself a man of talent, indulged a boastful humor, so I thrust my hand into my purse and paid them all to their full satisfaction. That evil fellow, my mortal foe, M. Pierre Francesco Ricci, major-domo of the Duke, took great pains to find out how the affair had gone. In answer to his questions, the two men whom I suspected of having caked my medal for me said I was no man but of a certainty some powerful devil, since I had accomplished what no craft of the art could do. Indeed, they did not believe a mere ordinary fiend could work such miracles as I, in other ways, had shown. They exaggerated the whole affair so much, possibly in order to excuse their own part in it, that the major-domo wrote an account to the Duke, who was then in Pisa, far more marvelous and full of thrilling incidents than what they had narrated. End of Section 15